today we're in Deuteronomy 30. So if you've found that in your Bible, please follow along with me starting in verse 1. When all these things happen to you, the blessings and curses I have set before you, and you come to your senses while you're in all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul by doing everything I am commanding you today, then he will restore your fortunes, have compassion on you, and gather you again from the people's where the Lord your God has scattered you. Even if your exiles are at the farthest horizon, he will gather you and bring you back from there. The Lord your God will bring you into the land your ancestors possessed, and you will take possession of it. He will cause you to prosper and multiply you more than he did your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants, and you will love him with all your heart with all your soul so that you will live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. Then you will again obey him and follow his commands I'm commanding you today. The Lord your God will make you prosper abundantly in all the work of your hands, your offspring, the offspring of your livestock, and the produce of your land. Indeed, the Lord will again delight in your prosperity as he delighted in that of your ancestors. When you obey the Lord your God by keeping his commands and statutes that are written in this book of, of the law and return to him with all your heart and all your soul. Would you pray with me? Father, we look to your word today. And we ask that you would reveal yourself, reveal your will, teach us how to respond to you. Let us learn what we can from this passage about you and about your character and about what you expect of us. And may we respond with, with hearts that are eager to obey. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, we've been, as we've been going through Deuteronomy, let me just remind you, this is a series of messages that Moses is giving to the Israelites before they go into the land that God had promised to give them. Now, they had, been, they had been wandering the last 40 years. Most of these folks had literally lived their whole lives in the desert for 40 years, wandering, preparing to go into the promised land. And now the time has come. And they're heading in, and, and God is explicitly instructing them how he wants them to live when they come into this land. And then we get to chapter 30, and Moses tells them, how to respond once they have turned away from the Lord. Now, after 29 chapters of, of encouragement to follow the Lord and to obey him and to live for him, it seems odd that Moses would make this bold assumption that they're not going to do that. And yet, as history plays out, we see this is exactly what happens. They go into the land, they have seasons of obedience and faithfulness to the Lord, and they have seasons of disobedience. And finally, after several hundred years of disobedience, God chooses to judge them by allowing other nations to come into this land he has given them and conquer them and take them as exiles. Exiles uh, into other foreign lands, and they're, they're taken off of the land they were promised, and they have to live in a culture that is hostile towards them, usually hostile towards their faith. 
And this is the judgment and, and the punishment that God has prescribed for them here in the book of Deuteronomy. But now he wants to tell them how to come back from exile, how to return to the Lord. Now, you and I are not Old Testament Israel. We're not going into the promised land. And so some of this seems like, well, what does this have to do with us? What I wanna attempt to do is we've said throughout the book of Deuteronomy, even when the passages maybe don't specifically speak to us, there's still much we can learn about God and his character and how he wants us to respond to him. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna draw some parallels between the instructions that God gave to Israel for when they are ready to return to him, to how we, as, as modern day Christians, when we come to a point where we find that we have wandered from the Lord and we desire to return to him, what we should expect that to look like. So if you have the handout in front of you that we gave you on the way in, please grab a pen. Let's go ahead and fill in a couple of these blanks. When we return to the Lord is sort of the heading of all of this today. When we return to the Lord, the first thing you see on the handout, we must do so with our whole heart. We must do so with our whole heart. Verse one says, when all these things happen to you, the blessings and curses I have set before you, and you come to your senses, which is the first thing that has to happen in returning to the Lord, we have to, we have, to have an awakening that what we're doing is not what we want to continue to do, but rather we want to come back to him. And so when you come to your senses while you're in the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul by doing everything I am commanding you today. To return to the Lord means to have a wholehearted change of mind. It means to acknowledge that what you have been doing is not what you should have been doing, that you've decided you no longer want to live in rebellion against God, but now you want to come back. This, this takes many different forms in our lives. I think we as as believers, all find ourselves sort of going through seasons of hot and cold. There are times when, when our love for the Lord is just red hot. And man, we're just, we're seeking to, to serve him, to love him, to obey him in, in every area of our lives. And then perhaps that love grows cold and we, we begin to wander. We don't make church attendance a priority. We don't make gathering together with other brothers and sisters in Christ a priority. We don't spend as much time reading God's word and we begin to grow cold and we wander. Or perhaps, it's a, perhaps it's a besetting sin, something that causes us to get entangled in worldliness, something that we have trouble shaking and, and it takes us far from the Lord. This is, ex this is exactly what happened to Israel physically and geographically. In their seasons of, of disobedience to the Lord, God literally removes them from, from what was to be the center of their worship, Jerusalem, and, and the temple where they were to come and experience his presence, and they become geographically removed and farther from him. Well, the same thing happens to us spiritually. Even though we may not go anywhere physically, our hearts have been taken into exile 
our hearts have wandered from the Lord. So when we decide and when we come to our senses and we realize, you know what, it's time. Enough. Enough of this. I don't want to live this way. I can't live this way. We must return to him with our whole heart. When that awakening happens, when we come to our senses, not only must we return with our whole heart, but we must commit ourselves to obeying him. It says here in verse two, part of returning to the Lord is, is, is not just regret or remorse over sin. It's, it's, a, it's a desire to commit ourselves to obedience, to doing what he has commanded us to do. But what I love about this passage, as much as, as much as our part in this is important, and as much as none of this is going to happen if we don't respond to the Lord in this way, the rest of the passage describes what he is going to do in response. And the, what that shows me about God is that his, his responses to our feeble attempts at returning to him are disproportionately graceful. He, he does not respond in kind. He responds with extravagance. He responds with, with an exorbitant love for us. We see this demonstrated in, in what he says to Israel here in Deuteronomy 30. Next thing you'll see on the handout is this. He will show great mercy and fulfill his promises. He will show great mercy. When we return to the Lord with our whole heart, we should expect to find great mercy. And not only great mercy, but a God who is quick to fulfill his promises. Listen to what verse three says. Then he will restore your fortunes, have compassion on you, and gather you again from the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Let's just pause right there and think about this for a minute. So Israel, having been, been given this incredible grace by God to be chosen to be his representatives on earth, to be his people, and he's given them this land, a good land, a land often described as flowing with milk and honey, which is not literal, but metaphorical, for it's a blessed land. There's, there's good things there. And they have responded to his goodness by rebelling against him. They've responded to his goodness by doing nearly everything he commanded them not to do. And so when they come to their senses, we might, depending on our view and understanding of how God operates, we might, un we might expect that he's standing there ready to judge. It's kind of like, it's funny. I was just talking to my dad over Thanksgiving and there was a season, um, talked a couple weeks ago about my granny who lives down in Georgia. There was a season when she came and lived with us. The reason we got on this is because we were talking about the horse trader. Do you guys remember the horse trader? All right, cool. All right, I'm, good, I'm in good company then. The horse trader was like a, a, a print newspaper full of ads, and we were talking about buying cars, and now you go on and you look on Facebook and stuff and buy cars. You used to have to wait for the horse trader to come out, and it came out once a week, and there was like 10 cars in it. And if, if you wanted to, to buy private party vehicles, that was pretty much it. 
that you saw vehicles sitting alongside of the road occasionally and you had the horse trader, right? Well, when my granny was living with us and this was in the 90s, the other thing that was in the horse trader was these personal ads. And here's my granny in her 50s, single, and she would respond, or actually I think she put in a couple of these personal ads and she would go on dates with these guys. <laughs> and this, again, in the 90s, this is before cell phones and all that. So I remember, I'm a teenager at the time, and I remember one time my, my granny goes on a date with this guy who rode a Harley. And um, my dad comes home and he says, where's Helen, to my mom? And she says, oh, she went out you know, with this guy, so-and-so, whatever. And my dad was a law enforcement agent most of my life, and that was what he was into, and had a high level of distrust of other people. And uh, he waited for her to come home, and he waited for her to come home, and finally she comes home at like midnight. And there's my dad waiting at the door for her. Mind you, she's 55 years old. <laughs> and he scolded her about going places where he didn't know when she was going to be home and who she was going to be with and, and all of this. And here he is. And that's, that's the picture some of us might have when we return to the Lord. We expect him to be standing there ready to scold, ready to judge, ready to come down harshly. But verse three says, then he will restore your fortunes, have compassion on you and gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Even if your exiles are at the farthest horizon, he will gather you and bring you back from there. The Lord your God will bring you into the land your ancestors possessed and you will take possession of it. What is he doing? He's picking up where he left off. This is, he's, he's going right back to the plan. He's going right back to his promises. He will cause you to prosper and multiply you more than he did your ancestors. If you're sitting here today and you have, have wandered from the Lord and maybe nobody else knows it, maybe you've still been going through the motions or maybe you haven't, but you've wandered from the Lord and you're like, I would like to come back, but I'm afraid of how he's going to respond. Let me encourage you. He is a God who is waiting to shower you with grace and compassion. He desires for you to return to him. We'll look at an example of this before we close today, but I'm going to save that for the end. So he will show great mercy and fulfill his promises. The next thing you see on the handout, he will restore our hearts to love him. His promise to the Israelites who have wandered from him is that he's going to restore their hearts to love him again. Verse six says, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants and you will love him with all your heart and with all your soul so that you will live. What is his desire for Israel? His desire is for them to love him again. His desire, this is, this is the incredible thing about God's plan for us, is that God's plan for us is not just to, is not to get something from us, it's to give something to us, which is the opportunity to have a personal relationship with the God who created the universe. He invites us into a love relationship with him. He says he will circumcise your heart. Circumcision was the 
physical sign that God chose to identify his people Israel as his people. Now, that's weird. (laughs) We don't understand that, right? Or if you do understand why, please explain it to me. But for whatever reason, he chose circumcision to identify his people. But he does that to point to a greater reality that, that it's not physical circumcision that matters, it's spiritual circumcision. And spiritual circumcision is the removing of the part of our heart that is rebellious, dead by sin, and lives oppositionally to God. And he... He leaves us with a pure, healthy, clean heart, spiritually speaking. He says, I will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, and you will love him with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you will live. To turn away from the Lord is to head towards death. It's just, it's just reality. I mean, it's, we, we have natural laws where there are spiritual laws as well. And just as much as you can't defy natural laws, you can't defy spiritual laws. You, you can't ignore gravity and you can't ignore the reality that when you move away from the Lord, you move towards death, spiritual death. There's no light. He is the source of life. And the further you go from him, the further you are from life. So he says, when you come back, I want to I restore your heart so that you'll love me and so that you will live. That's that's God, the, the, greatest, the greatest human experience by far, the greatest human experience is not winning the $2 billion power, Powerball lottery. The greatest human experience is not marrying the love of your life. That's good, but it's not the greatest. The greatest human experience cannot be found by taking drugs. The greatest human experience cannot be found in a relationship with another human being. Those can be good things, but those are not the greatest human experience possible. The greatest human experience possible is to experience a love relationship with the God that created you. That's it. It's the best thing in the world. It is the best thing in the world to know him, to be known by him, to love him with your whole heart. That's life. And that is the greatest thing that you can experience. Hands down. That's it. There's nothing that compares with that. So when they return to the Lord, he's going to give them that experience. He's going to restore their hearts, and he does the same with us. When we return to him, he restores our hearts to love him. Then we see, we'll we'll look at verse 7 in a second. Let me give you the fill in the blank. The next thing on the handout is this. He will carry out justice according to his will. This gets real practical here in a second. He will carry out justice according to his will. Verse seven says, the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. 
okay. We were just reading about this love story between God and those who return to him. And then there's this sort of seemingly out of place statement that the Lord, your God, will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute. Why I say this gets real practical is because the instrument which God has used to punish Israel for their rebellion against him. And you're like, man, God punished Israel. Yes, he did. He did so after patiently uh, for hundreds of years, giving them the opportunity to come back to him. He eventually said, look, patient waiting isn't working. There's one thing that I know will work and that's discipline. And so he, he disciplines and he punishes Israel. The instrument that he uses is other people. It's other nations. So other nations literally come into Israel with their armies and literally punish Israel. That's how God disciplines them. And now they have been taken as exiles into other lands, and many of them have been treated very poorly. And as they return to the Lord, one question that they might have is, well, what about the people who did nasty to us? What about the people who mistreated us? What about them? Don't they deserve some sort of punishment or judgment too? And God's answer is, I'll handle that. You are not to handle that. And I think the same is true for us. We might return to the Lord, regain a sense of what is right and wrong, and we may have lingering hurt from people that we have interacted with during our rebellion, and we, we may want to repay them. And we need to be reminded that that's not for us. That's up to God to decide. He is responsible for carrying out judgment and justice. Listen to Romans 12, what Paul says in Romans 12 in verse 17 in a very similar way. He says, do not repay anyone for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. When you return to the Lord... Your response to those who have hurt you is, first of all, to be grateful that you have not received God's judgment, but you've received his mercy. And your response is to do good to your enemies and those who have harmed you and allow God to sort it out. And that's what he'll do. And he will carry out justice according to his will. It's an, it's an odd thing to to take comfort in the idea of God's judgment because of our own understanding that we deserve his judgment. But there is a place in the believer's life for being comforted by the fact that if those who do bad and harm others continue to do so, there will come a time when God will judge them justly, not unjustly. 
It's a strange thing to take comfort in that, but I do think there's a place in a believer's life for that. And I say that because some of us have run-ins with just some super wicked, evil people who do terrible things. And we need to know that, that God is just. And either he will cause them to repent and the judgment they deserve will have been the judgment that Christ reserved on the cross, or he will judge them. And so we, we leave that in his hands. We say, God, that's, that's, I don't judge justly. I don't, I don't see things clearly. I, I judge out of, out of emotion and anger and hurt at times, but he judges justly. And so we trust him. We trust him to carry out justice according to his will. That's actually a very practical thing when you're returning to the Lord. Sometimes you're returning to the Lord and, <clears throat> excuse me, let me grab a drink. Sometimes you're returning to the Lord and <clears throat> none of that is an issue. It's just between you and God. But when it is an issue and when you, when you do have that baggage, it's wise of us to, to do good, to love our enemies, and to allow God to be the judge. All right, let's look at the next thing on the handout. He will restore us to fruitful labor. As good as, the, as, good as, as good as the news has been so far, these last two things that we're going to look at are my favorites. I love this idea that, that he, he doesn't just allow Israel to come back to him. He returns to the plan that he had to, to use them as part of his kingdom, to use them as part of his plan for creation. Verse 8 says, you will again obey him and follow all his commands I'm commanding you today. And the Lord your God will make you prosper abundantly in all the work of your hands, your offspring, the offspring of your livestock, and the produce of your land. There's four things there that God promises they'll prosper abundantly in. And the one that I want to focus on is the work of their hands. He's also going to prosper them abundantly according to their offspring. I mean, he's going to bless them, give them lots of children. He's going to do the same with their livestock. He's going to cause their herds to grow. He's going to cause their produce to be productive and, and to bring good harvest. But I love that he says he's going to prosper them in all the work of their hands because before they wandered, God had a plan to do things through them. He had, a, he had a plan for revealing himself to the nations through, originally he chose Abraham, and he said to Abraham, you're going to become a great nation, and through you, I'll bless all the nations of the earth. He has this plan that they have walked away from, and when they come back, God doesn't say, okay, I'm going to let you hang around, but... But, but don't think I'm going to put you in the game. You can sit on the bench. We're going to let you wear the jersey, but you're not getting any playing time. That's not what he says. He welcomes them back and he says, now, where were we? Let's do this. Let's, let's do what I said we were going to do. Let's, let's get busy. He, he, he's going to bless the work of their hands. He's going right back to the game plan. There's an incredible example of this in the New Testament. In the New Testament, one of Jesus' closest friends and followers, Simon Peter, had this just atrocious 
moral failure. He, the night before Jesus was arrested, Jesus said, he looked at his disciples, the 12 of them, and he said, uh, within a few hours, you're all going to betray me. And, and Peter was just beside himself. He couldn't believe Jesus was saying this about him. He looked at the other guys. He's like, maybe them. <laughs> he's kind of a jerk. He's like, maybe them, but Lord, I'll die before I walk away. And what he's, he's essentially saying, he's, he's saying, I love you more than they do. I'm more loyal to you than they are. They, they, I, I get it. They might, I can see where you'd think they would fail, but not me, Lord. I love you too much. And Jesus says, well, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will, will have denied me three times. And that's exactly what happened. Peter actually follows Jesus to his trial. And three times people asked him, do you, do you know him? And he said, I don't know that guy. And after the third time, the rooster crowed and Jesus was crucified. When Jesus needed Peter the most, he wasn't there. He wasn't ready. When Jesus needed, when Jesus needed more than ever, at least one guy to stand up and testify on his behalf, Peter wouldn't even admit that he knew him. And so after, after Jesus' crucifixion, then comes the resurrection. But you, you have to understand, after the resurrection, Jesus doesn't just stay with the disciples. He comes and goes. He makes appearances. And so Peter has seen Jesus resurrected, but he's, they haven't dealt with this. They haven't talked about this. And so he's just living in agony. He's living in guilt and shame. And I'm sure there are assumptions that whatever Jesus is going to do next, it's not going to involve me. So we pick up the story during one of Jesus' appearances to the disciples in John 21, verse 15. John 21, verse 15 says, When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Meaning the other disciples. Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. What does Jesus do? He goes right at Peter's greatest insecurity. And he says, the game plan's the same. I still want you on the team. In fact, you're playing quarterback. I need you in the game. Feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep. This is what Jesus had done. He had often during his earthly ministry referred to his ministry as shepherding. And now he's, he's preparing to leave 
and he's, he's passing the baton onto Peter. He says, it's your turn. You lead, you shepherd, you feed. And he gives him three chances to affirm his love. He gives him th- three coinciding opportunities. Three times he denied Jesus, and now three times he gets to express his love and his loyalty to his Savior. And then there's this seems kind of odd at the end for verses 18 on when Jesus says, when you were younger, you would tie your belt. And you're like, what's he talking about? And then it says, he, he says, Jesus said this to him to, to, to um, indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And that sounds bad, right? You're like, he's going to have to die for, for Jesus. But we know from church history that when, when Peter's opportunity to die for Jesus came, he actually welcomed it as an opportunity to show his love for Jesus this time. He failed this test before. This time he wasn't going to fail it. Next time he was put on trial for his allegiance to Jesus, he would withstand the test. In fact, church history tells us that they were going to execute Peter through crucifixion. And he said, I'm not worthy to die the same manner of death as my Savior. And they crucified him upside down. And that sounds terrible. But for Peter, I think it was an opportunity to express his love and his gratitude for what Jesus did in restoring him to fruitful labor. He could have been outcast. He could have been placed on the sidelines. He could have been kicked off the team, and yet Jesus restores him. This is When you come back to the Lord, you don't just come, come back and get to watch what's happening. You get to play in the game. You get to be a part of what God is doing. The plan that he had before you wandered is the plan that he still has to use your life to build his kingdom so that you can live with him forever and eternity. He restores us to fruitful labor. Finally, the last thing you'll see on the handout is he will rejoice in us. He will rejoice in us. What happens when you've wandered away from the Lord? What happens when you, and if you're like Israel, do all the things he commanded you not to do and you come back? He rejoices. He celebrates. The middle of verse nine says, indeed, the Lord will again delight in your prosperity. What does God delight in? What makes God happy? The well-being of those who once disobeyed him, but now have returned to him. He delights in that. As he delighted in that of your ancestors, when, they, when you obey the Lord your God by keeping his commands and statutes that are written in this book of the law and return to him with all your heart and with all your soul. What an amazing reality that God delights in us. And that he delights in us after we've done so much to bring shame upon ourselves. The story that I said I'd tell you earlier, the story of the prodigal son, I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. Let me set the stage a little bit. There was a guy, this is a parable that Jesus tells. There was a guy who goes to his father and he's kind of sick of of living in his father's shadow. He wants to live his own life. He wants to go out. He wants to have fun. He's sick of working on the farm. And he, he just, he has a different vision for his life. So he goes to his dad and he says, hey, uh, pops, this isn't working out for me. (laughs) 
how about you give me my inheritance now and I go live life the way I want to live it? And the father does that and he gives him his inheritance and the son takes off and he blows his inheritance on wild living and he brings all kinds of shame to himself and, and to his family and he, he, he runs out of money and he runs out of people that want to be around him and he eventually um, basically becomes homeless and in and, and despair. And he comes to his senses one day. He comes to his senses and he realizes, you know, even the slaves in my father's household had it better than I have it now. Yeah, I was once a son and, and once had all of these good things at, at my disposal, but man, if I could even return to the status of a slave in my father's household. So he comes up with this plan. He's gonna humble himself. He's gonna go back to his father and he's gonna say, I blew it. I know I don't deserve to be your son, but if you just let me be a slave in your house, that would be better than, than the way I'm living right now. And that's where we pick up the story in Luke 15. Verse 20 says, so he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to the father, remember he has a speech prepared. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And this is just the first part of the speech and the father doesn't even let him say the rest. And the, it says the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and so they began to celebrate. He delights in you. I don't know what's kept you away. I don't know what has caused you to wander from the Lord but I know how he wants to respond. And maybe you have in your mind all of these things it's gonna take to get back into good graces with him. You know, this is what I need to say and this is what I need to do. And I just, just want you to know you just need to let him see your face and let his compassion do the rest. Let his compassion wash away the guilt and the shame let his compassion lead to rejoicing and just come home and experience his love again. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come and get ready to lead us in some songs of worship. But while your eyes are closed, I know this message isn't for everybody. It might be for you someday, but right now some of us are like, man, I'm walking with the Lord. But there are some people in this room that this message is undoubtedly for. And as you have your eyes closed, if that's you today, I just want to ask you, how are you going to respond? Are you going to return to the Lord today and receive his mercy and his grace and his kindness? Or are you going to let the things that caused you to wander continue to keep you from the Lord? He doesn't want that for you. Nobody wants that for you. I want you to come and receive his mercy and his grace. And so as we sing this next song, I just want to open up this altar. And if there's anyone here today who says, I, I'm, you know what, I'm, I'm returning to the Lord. And it might be a little return. It might be a big return. You may have 
just grown cold over the last couple of weeks and you just want to express today that you don't want to head in that direction. You want to walk with him. Or it might be months or years that you've been away from him. Maybe for some of us, it's the first time we've ever come to him. And that's okay too. Whatever it is, I just want to open up this altar and invite you to come, receive his kindness, receive his mercy, receive his love. And then there might be others of us who, who are, are burdened as we hear this message today, as we hear this word for somebody else in our lives who we've been wanting them to return. It might be a spouse. It might be a child. It might be somebody that you're, you, you're close to and you've been friends with for a long time who's wandered away. And today you just want to intercede on their behalf. I want to invite you to the altar too. I invite you to come and just pray for those whom God has laid on your heart. Um, let me pray for us now. And then at some point during our time of worship, the gentleman will be around to receive the offering, but don't let that distract you from responding the way God wants you to respond today. Father, we love you. We can't believe how you love us. Can't believe your, your grace and your mercy for those who rebel against you. And Father, some of us today just need to do business with you. We just, we just need to open ourselves up to your mercy and your grace. God, would you meet us the way the father met the prodigal son? Would you, with compassion, welcome us back and just break our hearts for what we've done to turn from you and allow us to let go of that today and turn that over to you to be dealt with by your mercy. Father, would you, would you just send your spirit to move in our hearts today? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.